Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 1046, my interview with Luke Burgess, discussing his book, Wanting, The Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. Enjoy. Hello, Luke, and welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here today. Hey, Lee. Great to be with you. I know we're in uh, time zone differences here. Whereabouts are you, mate, in the world? I am in Western Michigan on the eastern shore of Lake Michigan. Beautiful place this time of year. Okay. Time of the day at the moment? Oh, it's about 3.30 in the afternoon. Oh, lovely. Okay. And what's the, uh, the what about you? this evening for you, Luke? Oh, wow. Um, we are going to go kayaking on the mm. big lake, actually. And then I'm going to try my hand at a bit of uh, grilling, trying to make a smoked chicken for the first time on my new grill. <laughs> lovely. It sounds like fun. Well, mate, um, you've got a, a new book, an interesting bit of research, really. Um, the book is titled Wanting, The Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. Um, now, this isn't your first book, is it? It's not my first book. Nope. I co-authored a book called Unrepeatable before this one. Unrepeatable. Okay. And what was the premise about that book? The premise of that book is that each person has a unique and unrepeatable mission in life, essentially something that they can do that nobody else can do, given who they are, uh, the unique circumstances that they grew up in. Mm-hmm. Now, each of us has some unrepeatable mission. And if we don't discover it and live it out, it's lost to the world forever. Right. Okay. Sounds very aligned with what we talk about often on the show here at The Hidden Why. Um, what is your field of study, Luke? My field of study, um, I've had a very circuitous path. So mm-hmm. I studied business in uh, undergrad in college. I yeah. uh, worked on Wall Street for a bit, and then I founded several different companies. And I ended up going back to school in my late 20s and studying both philosophy and theology, both in the U.S. and in Rome. Okay. What's the theology more about? We talk about um, philosophy a lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, theology is essentially just understanding um, who or what God is uh, and, and looking, looking at uh, things, um, sort of starting from the, the, the top down as opposed to uh, no. science, which sort of starts from the bottom up, right? Yeah. And so is that part of your everyday work now? I know you're um, a part of Sioka. Right. Yeah. So I'm part of the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship in Washington, D.C., okay. um, which sits within the Catholic University of America. So I'm, I teach in the business school. I help run this Center for Entrepreneurship where we do think about questions like what is work um, from a philosophical perspective, from a theological perspective? What is its meaning? What is its purpose? So a lot of my work does involve mm. um, theological perspectives, which is not the norm, and I, I know that. Um, but it, it sort of does open up some new horizons for thinking about things. So in that sense, it is very much a part of what I do. And in fact, you know, the, the book that I wrote, Wanting, uh, recently, is about the nature of human desire. And of course, there is a theological perspective to that as well. Okay, well, let's, let's um, delve into that topic of desire um, and how does that link with wanting or is wanting stem from desire? Yeah. Well, I, I think that the wanting and desire are uh, the same thing. If you consider wanting in, in a neutral sense of the word, you know, we often hear the word 
uh, wanting and it has a bit of a negative connotation to it, right? Or uh, there's the phrase that somebody has been found wanting. It means that you know they lack something. Uh, for me, um, wanting is just the, the the nature of being human. You know, where we desire something at, at all times. It could be something mm. quite uh, simple, like being thirsty or desiring something to eat. Um, and then also a little more uh, complex and abstract, desiring recognition, desiring to use one one's gifts and, and abilities to, to do good in the world. So there's a whole spectrum of desires. Some of them are kind of natural and that were largely just driven by instincts, right? We've got a biological wiring to guide us towards some of those kind of simplistic desires. Mm. But others, we, we don't. Um, they're, they're more abstract. And that's really what my book is about. So when it comes to some of these more abstract desires, career goals, um, desires for who we want to be and identity, that's where things get a little more tricky. Are they more psychological desires, would you think? I would say that they are, they are psychological desires. Um, you know, one might even say spiritual desires. Spiritual. And, yeah, I was just trying to figure out how do you categorize those. Um, right. And is there a difference between wanting of maybe some of those psychological desires and then wanting of some of those more um, inherent needs that we have, like food and shelter and things like that? It's a great question. And this is really what my research has been in. And I stumbled on this thinker named Rene Girard who gave me a mental model to understand the difference between those two things. Mm. And he essentially said that those instinctual desires are probably better off called needs. If I'm dying of thirst in the desert um, and I see water, I, I just go and drink the water. Um, I, I, it's just sort of hard, hardwired into my body, right? Um, I, know what I, I know what I need. When it comes to desires, Gerard's finding, his premise, his hypothesis is that we think of human desire for abstract things as being spontaneous, right? I, I just, I want what I want and I wake up and I, I, I want something. He says that those kinds of desires where we don't have an instinctual basis for choosing between one object and another, we rely on what he calls models of desire. Meaning I wouldn't know what to want if somebody or something hadn't in some way modeled a desire for that thing. So we rely on models in, in a sense to show us and make visible to us the various desires. And if we didn't have a model, he says, we might not know to want something at all. May not have a desire. Right. Is that what you call so, the mimetic desire? Exactly. Yep. So mimetic desire is mimetic is basically a fancy word for imitation. So okay. it's saying that a desire by its nature, these abstract human desires are imitative and we normally don't think of ourselves as imitating desire we can think mm. of ourselves as imitating um, speech and fashion styles of dress but his whole theory is that no we actually imitate at a deeper more fundamental level and we're imitating the desires of other people and to link that to to what we're talking about here in the name of this show the models of desire are often our hidden why for why we want things in the first place. Mm. The models of desire are often our hidden why. 
Yeah. Does that stem from modeling as well, our inherent why, do you think? Interesting or, question. Or more so the reason why we desire certain things. Yes, complicated. Yeah, so I, I would say that um, maybe there are a couple of different whys. Um, let's call mm. it um, a, 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 a social why. And when, so when we're speaking about mimetic desire. So I may have had a highly influential friend when I was growing up who went this certain path in life. You know, he, he left the city that I grew up in and moved to New York and wanted, would decided to go to this certain school and had a certain career path. And without my knowing it, because I, I look up to him, uh, he may be exerting a, a hidden force on what I want, what I myself want. And I can go through my life sort of tethered to you know, his desires in some sense are constantly just paying attention to, to what he wants. And when he wants something, it affects the way that I value that thing. And the, the tricky part is that I can rationalize why I'm making all of the choices that I'm making. Uh, you know, I went to this college because I got the best scholarship or I took this job because, you know, this is what I really like doing. All the while not recognizing this more hidden why, which is that well, I'm a social creature and that I'm taking cues from what other people want. In this case, uh, you know, a friend that I, I, I look to, I might not know how much I look to him mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, uh, mediating to me what's valuable and what's not valuable. Yeah. So what is that, and, that why in, in us that, that drives us towards some modelings of desire and, and not others? Like how do you break that down to, because, I mean, we're, we're surrounded and particularly now, aren't we, with social media? I guess that's a big, uh, makes it a bit more complicated perhaps, this modelling of, of desire. Right. Yeah, we, it's, we, we have more models of desire around us than ever before when we're online. But, yeah, I mean, it so, still connects to an inherent sort of why within us, which I, I sort of mm -hmm. feel falls down to some level of, of deeper happiness in life or, or even belonging. Well, I, I agree. And I sort of um, where, where I sort of get to in my own journey and uh, in, towards the end of the book is trying to get at stripping away some of the more superficial models of desire that we may have had in our lives, mm. the unrecognized models of desire and stripping those away. Um, and I call those thin desires, thin meaning there's sort of like a pile of leaves that can blow away when there's a, a gust of wind. There's nothing really solid holding them together. There's not a lot of continuity. We sort of move between one and the other. And I did this in my own life. You know, I, I would pursue something really passionately um, only to get bored with it a few months later. And I was like, What's, what the heck is going on here? And it was because those were highly mimetic desires where somebody yep. had modeled something to me. I took it as my own. I pursued it. And then I realized, well, it's not really satisfying. And that's opposed to thick desires. And thick desires are the ones that I believe are, are more sort of in, inherently speak to who we are. They're more authentic to who we are. Um, they're not subject to the mimetic uh, forces that of, of change that can make us feel a bit of whiplash when it comes to pursuing desires. And the, the, the whole journey really for, for me, and I, I hope for some of my readers, is trying to get down to 
what's thin and, and highly mimetic and what's thick. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's mean. I mean, I think we can all sort of relate to things we've pursued in life um, that maybe haven't stuck. Um, and perhaps it's for that particular reason that it's not connected with a more innate sort of in a deeper why or reason while we're following that, um, certainly been there. And I think when you do find something that you're passionate about um, that creates this desire and, and it sticks, it feels different, doesn't it? It really does. And, and you know, desires can be cultivated as well. You know, yeah. we, we have some freedom here to to cultivate our desires. And, um, you know, my wife and I talk, talk about that love itself, right? It, it, it can be deepened and, it, and we have to actually work on it. It's work. So there are certain things that I want to desire more than I currently do. I'll give you a good example of that. Um, I'm not in the best of shape right now. Um, this has been so busy lately and I don't desire it enough. At least I don't desire it enough to get up off my butt and go for a run um, or, or work out when I, I think that I, I need, to, I know intellectually that I probably should. And that's a case really, uh, it partly comes down to me cultivating the desire to do that so that hopefully a few months from now, uh, I actually want to go work out as mm -hmm. opposed to thinking of it as, as this, uh, you know, horrible sacrifice that I have to make sure. or something. Yeah. Yeah. And cultivating that desire. I mean, I just look at that and think about myself. Like if I um, start listening to more health focused podcasts or reading more health conscious books, um, I certainly know that that changes my behavior. Um, if I do, you know, enough of it and consume enough of it, I'll start finding myself, doing more good health activities and focusing on health in my life um, and vice versa. If I'm focused on career or business or something like that and put my attention there, then I seem to pursue more of those things and some of the other things fall to the wayside. It's true for me too. Um, but I also notice in myself at least that if I, I can understand something on an intellectual level and I can grasp it on the level of ideas and perhaps sometimes can give me the illusion that I'm actually doing the thing that I'm reading about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, um, where my, my will maybe has not been moved to actually do the thing, but I, you know, I read this book about, I don't know, ma making some change in my life and oh, that sounds really good. And I get it and I'm tracking, I've made all the, the intellectual connections. And then for whatever reason, um, that's not enough to sort of move me at the level of desire. So, uh, you know, one, one way that I think about it is that desire is this deeper sort of level of, of movement or, it's, or, or why we take certain actions. And the intellectual part of it, the understanding the why is really important, right? Like the, the will and the intellect are not, they don't operate independently. I have to understand something and have good reasons to do it. But sometimes that alone is not enough unless we develop the habit of doing it, right? This is what the, you know, the classics, they called it a virtue. Um, it just means that, you know, you, you've done something enough to where maybe it's not so hard to do anymore, right? It's like training a thesis. Um, so that, I, I think they, I think the two things go hand in hand. Um, and I fooled myself many times by listening to, you know, reading great books, listening to great podcasts uh, and thinking, oh, this is great. And then having a hard time doing it until I actually train myself to, to be able to, to do it. Yeah, is is so when we look at desire and going back to identifying these thin and thick desires or what I sort of refer to as well as superficial um, desires or needs or wants, um, how do we how do we do that? How do you help people differentiate that in their life? 
There's one particular exercise that I, I really enjoy doing. I've done it with myself. I, I mm-hmm. do it every year and I do it with people that uh, I work with and people that I mentor. And it's an exercise that I call identifying your fulfillment stories. And it's very, very simple. Uh, I, I ask, you know, tell me about a time when you took some action, when you achieved something that's meaningful to you and really only you could be something very simple. It doesn't need to be this impressive achievement uh, by anybody else's standards. It could be, you know, making uh, a meal that your grandmother handed down to you or something, a recipe. Um, and you did it well, you did it with excellence. And lastly, and most importantly, it gave you this deep sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, maybe even joy to the point where, you know, if this is something that you did 25 years ago, just thinking about it stirs up some of that satisfaction and joy, right? You're proud to have done it. And if you do that exercise four or five, six times, different stories, different actions throughout one's life, these are things that you're sort of in a state of flow. If you take them together and look at them as a whole and try to find a pattern emerging, Mm. I would argue that that pattern that's emerging is some sign of your thick desires, some sign of a fundamental core motivational drive. Like you, you tend to gravitate towards actions that are kind of like this. And this could be many different things depending on who you are. Yeah. The exercise for me has been tremendously illuminating because some of these stories I forgot. And then when you lay them out on the same sheet of paper or in your mind, and you're able to see a pattern there, you get some really interesting insights about how you're fundamentally wired and what you want. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to put that into perspective with examples, isn't it? Because it's it's so um, so in depth, I suppose, and so so individual as well. It's so individual, and um, you know the stories that I tell and the stories that other people have told me are often surprising. Um, you know, uh, none of my stories are about founding a, a, a company, and I founded a couple of successful companies. That for whatever reason, um, they're not the ones that seem most satisfying to me. And I go back and, you know, one of my fulfillment stories is uh, in an inventing an orange peeling machine in my fifth grade science class. It didn't work very well, um, yes. but it worked. And I was yeah. in fifth grade. And and for what you know, the process of doing that was tremendously fulfilling for me, probably because it involved ideating and, you know, trying and then selling the idea to my teacher and my classmates. So that's what's kind of cool about the exercises. It is highly personal, as you say. And what sort of what did that link to you going back through all these these stories in, in your life um, about what you particularly desire? Just to put some context it, around it. Sure. Yeah. So I, I've um, I've actually codified this this a bit, and um, one of my friends, the, the co-author of the book Unrepeatable, actually, yep. and I have have sort of grouped these um, into twenty seven core motivational themes. So he's been doing this for over thirty years, and we sort of find that. Most people's uh, core motivational drive, thick desires, fall into one of these 27 um, themes. And my top one is experience the ideal, meaning I I really enjoy um, creating the conditions to have ideal experiences in. And I, you know, we don't have time. I won't tell you my other five, six, seven stories, but they all involve an element of that. So one is about fitness. Even my orange peeling invention had to do with that 
because I thought that the way that I peel an orange was not ideal. <laughs> and I wanted to, I wanted to design something that would make that a better experience. And it really speaks to who I am as an entrepreneur because throughout my life, um, everything that I've done has in some sense been a way of me trying to incarnate some kind of experience and and make it and make it better. So it, mm. I, you know, I learned something about myself through through that exercise. That's cool. Yeah, I like it. Um, desire could be considered fairly selfish. Would you agree? I would agree, and it, and it can be, but it need not be. Why is that? So, you know, we can desire things for ourselves, but we can also desire things for other people, and we can desire to give of ourselves. And and you know, this is where everything comes full circle, where you know my initial approach to knowing myself better uh, I, when I learned about this idea of mimetic desire was how does this affect me? Um, and it was sort of all about me. And that's that's okay because I, I, I did want to disentangle some of my messy desires. But as I, as I move through this process, I learned that I do have a fundamental desire to give of myself in, in forms of service. And that when I do that, um, and even when I want something for somebody else that they might not want for themselves, a good example of that would be a student or an athlete that I've coached who uh, simply didn't want to improve or didn't think that they were capable of doing something, but I did. And I desired them to do that thing until I find through my desire, they, they began to desire it themselves. Right. So this is a positive form of mimetic desire. Mm. And, and through that sort of focus on others rather than myself, the, there's kind of a weird alchemy that happens. And it's, I, I come to learn more about myself through, through this sort of going out of myself. Uh, and that's the beauty of it. So, you know, desire yes. ultimately I think is, is for self gift. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. What do you, when you're helping others with this process of understanding their more deep desires, what are the key challenges or obstacles you typically face? Hmm. Well, there's if, a couple if there's that come similarities. I think there is. Hmm. Right, right. Well, one of them is the mentality that desire is bad or that right. we should eliminate our desires. Um, that desire is somehow a curse and that, you know, all desire leads to suffering. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that that's true. I think that that some desires do. In fact, many desires do. I think there are healthy desires and there are, there are unhealthy desires. Um but uh, wanting to love my spouse uh, more and deeper, uh, that's a healthy desire. And, and that's one that I would never want to extinguish. So I do think there's a, a bit of a mentality where, you know, eliminate desire because, you know, desires can disappoint us. Um, but just because something disappoints us doesn't mean that it's that um, there's not a, a, a beautiful side to it as well. Mm. So that's that's one thing that I've had to overcome a bit. And another interesting one is when I, I ask people to go through that exercise of sharing fulfillment stories with me, um, there are many people that say, I don't have any, no, there's, there's nothing, nothing that yeah. I can't think of anything interesting that I've achieved. Um, they, they always, they, they start that way, but once I get them to detach their notion of achievement from, um, kind of, you know, what's, what's impressive to, you know, 
uh, Inc. magazine or, or, or whatever it is, and I get them to focus on what's important to them, then they always find one. And, that, and there's sort of that little transition that we have to make away from what everybody else wants you to be and do to what's actually fulfilling for you. And that's where things start to click. Yeah. And I, I, I would assume that's one of the key challenges is, is trying to pull people away from this, um, these external desires that they are t- attached to and conditioned by <clears throat> to tap into their own um, desires, you know? No doubt, no doubt. And, you know, some of those external desires are, are just natural. They're, they're natural. Um, I, I think of the desire for recognition, for instance. And, mm. you know, that's a desire that is a thick desire because, I, I mean, don't we all want to be recognized for who we are and known for who we are? But something like social media can take that natural desire and um, just warp it in a thousand different ways where now all of a sudden we're seeking recognition, you know, because I wrote this good tweet and I need this kind of engagement. And, you know, it, it takes a really authentic and, and fundamentally good desire to be known and, and, and to know others and, and sort of twists and turns it into needing to be recognized in a lot of ways that ultimately are not going to fulfill us. Yeah. I mean, there's all those emotions and, um, I guess, innate sort of needs that we need fulfilled, the psychological needs sure. um, that we will look for externally and perhaps um, in, in not the right manner to be, to be fulfilled. And do you find with that, um, with social media in this, in this day and age, do you find that there's a, a big challenge there ahead of us or what are your thoughts there about navigating that and its impact on desire? I do think there's a big challenge ahead of us. I'm not all negative on social media. I think that it's got... Um, extremely uh, uh, positive possibilities and potentiality if we use it in the right way and we don't let it use us. And Mm. I think it's very easy to let social media um, control us. But if, you know, if we're free enough to, to engage with that, engage with it and use it to, you know, to, to communicate important things, I think it can be a great tool. It is challenging though, you know, and I've been Mm. on social media more than ever um, just because my book recently came out. Of course. Um, And, uh, and I've felt the, how easily it can get me off track. And I've had to, you know, put very specific boundaries in my life, um, you know, in terms of how much I check it and why, why am I saying the things that I'm saying? What's my motivation for, 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 for putting this out there? And I think that's always an important sort of check on myself is to ask myself why I want to do what I'm doing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's great self-awareness, isn't it? If you're, if you're thinking about those things when you're doing it, because then you're not just doing it um, unconsciously, I suppose, or subconsciously. No doubt. Well, and, that, and that's why I believe that the, the solution to the social media problem, to the extent that we have a problem, it really needs to come about on the personal level. I think, I think it has to come from us. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to... Um, invent a technological solution to solve what's kind of a technological problem. Um, yeah. I think that it, it's going to depend on how we choose to engage with it. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's sort of the unavoidable, I suppose, but it's certainly something that needs to be discussed more frequently um, because the more I think about it and how I use it, I use it for business mostly. Um, and at times guilty of jumping on there for, you know, trying to seek recognition or validation or whatever it might be. Um, and then getting stuck in this um, sort of, loophole of social media um which I, I find very unhealthy but having that awareness allows me to distance myself from that but then i look at it and go well i use it for business and, and how is that healthy as far as the desire why i use it um 
and this this just the addiction to our screens and whether it's social media or not on our screens and the the ability for it to remove our our ability to have attention and focus in life um, is huge um, and therefore I, I sort of think more and more that perhaps this isn't I, I don't see the benefits there like yes it's a tool for communication and sharing and things like that but um, perhaps it's the wrong tool. Yeah, I, I I feel the same way, um, and I have to say that I, I planted a garden for the first time uh, a couple of months ago. First time I've had a garden, and uh, my wife and I have been tending it, and it's amazing. Um, just in the last couple of months since we did that, my perspective on social media has has changed. It's had some kind of a transformational effect on me where I'm out there for, you know, an hour, uh, tending it, pulling weeds and picking vegetables for a salad for dinner or something like that. And I come back in the house and I'll take a look at my social media and some things just look a lot sillier than they did a couple of months ago. So right. um, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good example, isn't it? Um, yeah. So getting back to the fundamentals, well, and I think if you do that sort of thing, um, and I don't suggest I do it well, but I think if you if you can do more of that, uh, like gardening or getting outdoors or, you know, going to see a friend and having a coffee face-to-face, that would help you ultimately connect to a more true desire for you in life because you're removing yourself from those channels and seeing what's yeah. fundamentally more important. Right, yep. And there, there's something that um, I think the, as we – we move into what I would call a, a disincarnated world, um, but we don't have as many incarnate, you know, personal face-to-face interactions. It seems like that's leading us into a, a Pandora's box of desire because there's, you know, theoretically this, this infinite number of abstract desires and we can see a different one every second of the day. So there's this important way in which the, the, the incarnate, you know, the, the, the personal real life grounds us in what's most important and keeps us focused on that. Um, and I always come back to, you know, mm. no, nothing can ever replace. And we learn more about ourselves from these real human interactions than we ever can from the abstract um, yeah. stuff. Yeah. And maybe that'll turn around. I think, you know, I sort of feel sometimes that people are waking up to it a bit more and, and trying to tune in with that uh, what's more important in life and those fundamental um, ways of, of human life. Um, but, yeah, bigger, bigger topic that we'll go into today. Just finally, mate, with um, cultivating desire, I know we sort of touched on it, but what, what sort of practices or tools do you have there to help people cultivate correct desire, I suppose? I'll just give a couple. Um, there, there are 15 tactics in the book, um, but a yeah. couple that, that have proven extremely useful for me. Uh, I journal, um, I, and this is a practice that I picked up about five years ago mm-hmm. where I actually you know, just name my desires, and that's the most important part. Um, you know, Many people can't name their emotions, um, but I think even less can name desires because we don't even think to name it. You know, We want what we want. But what is it specifically that we want? And that's an incredibly important exercise. Na- name our desires and, if possible, even name the models that might be um, affecting those desires, right? I, I want to write a book. Well, why do I want to write a book? Who influenced my desire to write a book? And what am I really trying to do when I'm writing a book? So that basic exercise is, is really important. And um, the, you know, the second thing I would say is uh, 
making time to unplug. And, you know, for me, I, I mentioned my gardening, but I, I tend to try to go on a silent retreat every year where I just take at least a couple of days completely unplugged. And what that does, and if you don't have two days, then, you know, even an afternoon, that the silence has this powerful effect in helping the thick desires sort of bubble up to the surface. Um, you know, th that's why silence can be really scary sometimes because it does happen, right? That, you know, there's that phrase, the silence is deafening. Um, we, we sort of want to run from it, but if we stay in it for a little while, uh, it, it tends to help us discern what's a thin desire and what's a thick one kind mm -hmm. of in the way where when I come back from a couple of hours in nature, uh, how social media looks can, can look silly, like things that I thought were serious all of a sudden look like they're kind of trivial. A very similar thing can happen if we allow ourselves to just unplug and sink down into silence. The thin desires begin to, you know, appear for what they are. Yeah, yeah. Really important and, uh, yeah, makes me think that I need to, and you can do that daily or weekly. Um, I use my phone for business like most people, I think. We can always make that reason for why we are on it. Um, but there's certainly many times where we can just switch off uh, for, you know, the evening or the day or whatever it might be. Um, Absolutely. I think very powerful. Do you have like a, a meditation practice? Because obviously you seem quite self-aware, um, which I think, again, it, it always seems to come back to this for me when I'm talking to people about many topics. Um, your ability to be self-aware helps you navigate uh, life much more grandly. I, I, I do. Um, you know, I, I, I try to meditate for at least 30 minutes in the morning. Um, yeah. sort of, you know, pour myself coffee and, and, you know, it can be while I'm out for a walk, it can be an active meditation. Um, if I don't do that, it seems to color the whole rest of my day, um, without fail. Uh, and then I kind of bookend that, um, with, uh, what I call an examination of conscience at some point later in the evening where I just run through a checklist. It might be four or five questions. Um, and they, they, they change from month to month and from year to year, sometimes even from day to day. And they're yeah. just the questions that, uh, I know that I need to ask myself, um, the ones that I know are most important, you know, um, you know, Luke, um, you know, uh, what's, what did you focus on? What was most important today? Like what you said, what you thought was most important in the morning. Um, did you allocate, did you honor it with a sufficient amount of time and effort? Basic questions like that. And, uh, sometimes, you know, I, I fall short, but at least asking myself the questions, uh, allows me to know where I'm at and what I need to do going forward. Yeah, nice. So the book Wanting, available on Amazon um, by Luke Burgess. I'll stick the link in the show notes there. Luke, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, they can find me on my website, lukeburgess.com, and uh, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. You can drop me an email, uh, luke yeah. at lukeburgess.com, and I'd love to hear from you. That's awesome, mate. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Any final words, Luke? No, just thank you so much for having me on, Lee. It was really a pleasure. It's been a great conversation. Guys, um, check it out there at thehiddenway.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. 
Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwire.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon